Guys, uh, good morning. Good to see you today. Um, all this school year, we are looking at these why questions of the Bible. Um, why did God let this happen? Why didn't God do... We have our own, right? What we're doing all the school year is looking at these why questions that so many of us ask and, and, and that permeate the Bible from, from cover to cover. But as I've been sharing with you recently, what a lot of people fail to realize is that God in the Bible asks why questions too. And it's a little weird because it seems that sometimes God is as confused by our actions as we are by his. Now, I know immediately some of you, how could God be confused about anything, right? Because doesn't he know everything? Well, yeah, he does, and I don't know. But what I do know is this. The Bible presents it that way, where God is asking these questions in a place of confusion. So I'm going to take what the Bible says rather than force my own preconceived notion upon it. Make sense? And if you take it that way, you have got God in the Bible half the time looking at people doing One of these, I would love to get a snapshot, like, like, you know, those satellite view pictures you can get where you get everything in scope. I would like a cosmic view picture of humanity and God at the same time facing each other with humanity praying and God looking down. And I am more and more convinced every day that on both sides, you would see the exact same facial expression. The Bible is loaded with why questions from God. And these next three weeks, we're going to look at three in particular. Three where God seems utterly confused by certain attitudes that we have and assumptions that we make. Things that God looks at us and just goes, what? And the one that I want to share with you today is the very first why question from God that you're going to find in the Bible. And here it is. Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Let me read from Genesis 4. Now it says this. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now listen to what God says. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you so mad about this? Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, 
You will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. How about that for the third and fourth human beings on the planet? It is an ancient question and it is an ancient issue that goes back to the beginning. Why are you so angry? And sometimes I am really led to think that the only difference between a lot of us and Cain is that we just don't have the guts to kill someone. But I think that kind of anger is something that all of us in one level or another have tasted, experienced, and wrestled with in some kind of ways. And maybe we don't have the guts to actually kill someone. And if you do, please don't, okay? Okay, but are you following me here? But really, even if we don't have the guts to kill someone, does it stop us from a thousand stabs and jabs? You know, it's what I call death by a thousand paper cuts. And if you think about it, you can argue it's worse because the latter is torture. Jesus has some very, very strong things to say about this subject of anger. Let me share one that he shared with his disciples. He says to them, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Have you ever wanted to take, like, you remember, you know those exacto knife things, those projects you used to do where you'd cut stuff out very evenly? Have you ever wanted to take an exacto knife and take the Bible and just go to work? You, you, you know, do you read a passage like this and just find yourself a little floored? It gets worse. Jesus goes on to say from there, listen to this. He says, again, Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which apparently was an unkind thing to say to someone, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. <laughs> what, what do you even do with that? Are you angry? You're risking hell. At least if you think Jesus actually knew what he was talking about and believe what he says, which is really frightening to me because I think a lot of us are angry a lot. You ever have those moments where you're just kind of like coming to terms with yourself? You know, and, and, and you're asking yourself these questions like, why am I so angry all the time? Or why am I so just like quick-tempered? I did it again. It was a simple thing. I lashed out. Why am I so volatile? You, you, you've been there? I, I, I have. And does it ever leave you kind of in this place of going, what is going on inside of me? 
Maybe you heard of this. It's something called the fruit of the Spirit. Paul will write about this in this letter he writes to this this church in a region called Galatia, where he says, if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, then it's going to produce all these kinds of good things, things like love and joy and peace and patience and self-control. But what a lot of people don't realize is just before he talks about this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about what I like to call some rotten fruit of a rotting spirit. And it's fascinating to me that if you look at it, at least five of the 13 things he mentions tie directly into anger, hatred, discord, fits of rage, and many others that he'll get into. I think it catches some of us by surprise because I think a lot of us have been led to think that anger is actually a virtue. You know, every politician needs to be properly outraged at the right thing for the right people at the right time. But for every finger we point there, there's three pointing back at me. And we think that when we're angry, we're doing something good and right because it means it, it matters. It means we care. But Jesus rarely, if ever, has positive things to say about this thing called anger. In fact, the Bible seems to, to, to describe it as rotting fruit of a rotting spirit or a way that I've heard that I actually just have come to love. Do you know what anger is? It is flatulence of a rotting soul. It is equally offensive, and the offender should be equally embarrassed in both cases. But we're angry. And have you ever noticed how how stupid it is sometimes? You know... When I do something to someone else, come on, get over it. It's not a big deal. But when someone offends me, oh my gosh, right? Suddenly this becomes so important. Someone cuts me off or gives me a tongue lashing or a backhanded comment or looks at me cross-eyed or doesn't give me the attention I think I deserve or is somewhat negligent and we are just convinced that this is personal, that they have a vendetta, that they've been plotting They have been planning. They were watching on the road for us to pass, going, I know he comes at 8.32 a.m. Cut him now, right? And we got so mad. How dare they? But when we do it, we're dumbfounded. You ever have that moment where someone's like laying on their horn, flipping you off, and you're like, are you, what? Right? But when they do it to me, ooh. I tell you, Jesus says, whoever is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And what's utterly fascinating to me is that Jesus, who had every right to be angry, wasn't angry in these kinds of of ways. These last five weeks, we've been looking at why Jesus died. And last week, we, we went through this like gruesome retelling of what he actually endured. Here is a man, when you think about those things, who had every right to be angry. And yet he hangs in pain 
as a direct target, saying things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And yet I get so mad over some of the most innocuous and little things. And it has got to confuse God so much. He's got to be sitting up there, scratching his head, asking this question, why are you so angry? What's fascinating to me in the Cain and Abel story is that God wasn't mad. Abel brings a fantastic offering, this this expression of love to God. Cain brings something that just kind of fit in. God isn't mad. But when God delights in what Abel did, Cain gets mad. Why ain't you delighting in me too? And God's up there scratching his head. Cain, why are you so angry? Don't you think I don't love you? Don't you think I'm not going to do right by you? Don't you think I see what's going on in your life? Don't you think that however you've been wronged, I'll make it right in the end? And God sits in heaven looking down upon us, utterly perplexed. talking to a Cistercian monk down in Kentucky. There's a monastery down there, a Catholic monastery that, that several of us here like to go visit. And, and something that I kind of stumbled on that I've really come to like to do is that the monk priests will often offer private confession. And what I've learned is that if I go to private confession with one of these monk priests and then they find out I'm not Catholic... They get so happy because they just let their guard down and just want to talk life and shoot the bull. And you can go to this and talk with these guys who have these vows of silence for like four, it's like they're getting it all out, you know, and and hear about it. And I was talking on this one occasion with this, this monk, and he was sharing with me some of the difficulties of monastic life. And he said something that was fascinating to me. He said, you know, the hard stuff is not what most people think. The hard stuff is not the life of simplicity, the regiment of prayer, the rigors, the simple diet, the chastity. That isn't really what's hard about it. He said, what's hard about it is this. It's living with these other guys. (laughs) Because a lot of times... We just don't like each other. He was sharing this story. Standing at one of his fellow brother's graves. And any time a monk dies in their brotherhood, the monks come together and conduct a 24-hour prayer vigil where they pray by, by the deceased brother's open casket for 24 hours straight in a kind of rotation. And he, and he was recounting the story to me of standing there at this, this dead monk's casket, looking at this man, asking himself this question, why did I hate him so much? Because now... Whatever our issues were, it all seems insignificant. 
Christian writer named D.A. Carson writes this. He says, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. You ever come to church looking for friends? Bad news for you. The church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not the things that bind people together in friendship. It's not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, common interests, common this, common that, common anything else we could put on the list or anything of the sort. No. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. And the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says. And what he commands us to do is this, to love one another. Even when we're angry, even when we hate their guts. And in this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another not because that person is so great, but for Jesus' sake. Isn't that awesome? And completely perspective-reorienting See, here's the reality, guys, and there's no getting around this. We're going to get angry. We're going to meet people that we don't like, and if we're honest with ourselves, people that we even hate. The question is, what are you going to do with that? And the Bible is filled with advice into this very real, very natural, very confusing human emotion called anger. Let me share with you today just a few. Jesus will say this. If you're a church praying, worshiping God, telling him how important he is, how much you love him, or doing your duty to him in some way. That's what he's getting at here. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Just leave. Go. What's more important is that you first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. I've met so many believers and have been in the place so many times myself where I have come to this place of God's presence harboring anger for someone else in my heart. And what I hear is these words of the prophets coming through Jesus' lips all the time of God going, do you think I want your worship? Do you think I want your prayers? Do you think your religiosity is what is most important to me? No, it's how you treat and how you feel and how you interact with those around you. And if you are on the outs, that person is just as important to me as you go. Go now, honor me by making it right with him.
And I want to encourage you today. If it is within your power, with someone who has something against you or with whom you hold something against, act today and seek to be reconciled with your brother because that's Jesus' way. There's another I like where Paul will write, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. I have found that the spiritual forces of darkness in this world love nothing more than to sink in their claws through an unforgiving, bitter, angry heart. And Paul writes, deal with it. Deal with it quickly. Don't put it off. Don't just hope it'll go away because anger, doesn't it, have a way of galvanizing? There's certain things in life that you just kind of roll off. But have you had those other things where it just won't cut loose and it seems to harden into things like bitterness or hatred or contempt? And Paul writes, don't give the devil a Don't do it. Deal with it immediately. Deal with it today. Are you here today with anger in your heart? Deal with it seriously. Don't treat it lightly, hoping it will magically go away. Do what you need to do to expedite that anger inside And sometimes I know this is hard. Sometimes it's easy, but sometimes we have been hurt and wounded and offended in certain kinds of ways that just aren't so easy to let go in that kind of way. Let me share with you what I do in my life when I'm wrestling with anger like that. It's a simple exercise, but it basically goes like this. Get some time with God. Whether that's better on your knees in your room or on the treadmill running it out hardcore or at the punching bag letting loose, praying to him. And ask yourself things like these. What does God have a right to be angry at me about? And then ask yourself something like this. What do other people have a right to be angry with me about? And then ask yourself this. And how do I want God and other people to treat me despite how I've angered them? And as simple as it is, I find that it is utterly perspective granting. It has a way of softening the heart. 
I find myself just having to pray things like, God, you have every reason to be angry with me for the way you paid for my sins. Forgive me, and as you commanded me, help me to forgive others in the exact same way. And it's not magical. But I find by coming to my anger and confronting it in that kind of way again and again, God has a way of changing my perspective, inviting me to trust him, and softening my own heart. And sometimes I have to do it again and again. Every time it flashes up for something that just won't go away. You know, I think what, what God told Cain is something that we need to hear today. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Are you angry? Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. But you must master it. You must master it. It can feel so good to be angry. Strength comes from anger, doesn't it? But as Master Yoda has taught us, it only leads to the dark side. God looks upon this thing called the human race with confusion in his heart. Not because he doesn't know, but I think more because we don't seem to be able to grasp just what kindness and mercy and love and sacrifice is, as he's shown us. Hey, I want to encourage you. If you're angry here today, God knows, and he's not angry with you. Bring it to him. Don't put it off anymore. We're going to commune today. It celebrates the day that Jesus took all of God's anger and all of our anger upon himself as a lightning rod of cosmic proportion, absorbing it all, all of the sins, to set us free from God's anger and from our own. I've sinned so many times in my anger, and I'm so unworthy of this, but God invites me anyway. And he invites you to. As the man starts to come forward, I want to invite you to rise. And I think it's important that we examine ourselves, confessing not just our sins in general, but even specifically today. 
the ways that we've become angry and acted in our anger towards others. There's a prayer that I want to show you here today. If Mike, you'd put it on the, the screen, and I just want you to read it for a moment. This prayer of confession to Almighty God before heaven and before each other that we've sinned in here, right here, and in what we do. And that the blame is ours and ours alone. Our God is not an angry God. And because of that, we can confess it to him today. So pray with me, if you would. And just take a minute to kind of get your own heart in the light before him. Here we are, O oh Lord. Your people who struggle so deeply with angry spirits. Hear us now as we lay before you everyone that we're angry at and everything that we're angry about. Here it is, God. Hear a prayer today. God in our anger. Help us to let it go. To honor you in its midst. And to trust you today. Pray with me if you would. I confess to Almighty God before all of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. God Almighty, have mercy on me. Forgive me all my sins. Bring me from death to life. Jesus paid it all, took it all, absorbed it all, and you are forgiven. In his grace, learn this day what it means to be gracious in his name. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup. And he gave thanks and he gave it to them and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Brothers and sisters, come do this in remembrance of him. <laughs>